0: So why don't we go ahead and uh, turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to jump into the Word this morning. I hope I'm not forgetting anything. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your Word this morning. Jesus, uh, you're wonderful, Lord. We know it's you. We know it's uh, all that you do, and we're so appreciative for it. Holy Spirit, come and speak to us this morning. Come and preach to us what you desire. Come and share with our hearts individually what you desire. Thank you, Lord, for the God factor. That when all hope is lost, Lord, it's not lost because you exist. I thank you, Father, for it, Lord. All that's going on in the world, you still exist and are going strong, Lord. So we rest in you this morning, Father. We thank you for what you're doing in our midst and the power of your Holy Spirit, which surpasses the abilities of our flesh. Thank you, Father, for it. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. So you've got your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 5, but before we go there, let me just uh, talk to you a little bit. So very recently, Jill and I uh, took a few days back in July, and we went down to Crystal Bridges. We went down to Bentonville, Arkansas, and there in Bentonville, Arkansas is the Crystal Bridges um, Art Museum. I don't know if you've ever been there before, it's uh, one of the Walmart, the Walmart family money is all right there, and so they've done things, and one is they put in this humongous art museum that is in northern Arkansas, and it's it's a neat place to go to, and we walk through it, and uh, you know, we only had so much time, so we kind of, we didn't do the, uh, you know, I think the traditional thing for an art museum is you go in, you find one piece or two pieces, and you stand for an hour, and you bake in front of the art piece. You know, and you absorb all of it, and you let it speak to you type stuff. Well, we didn't do that. We just buzzed by. Oh, yeah, that's cool. Okay, that's cool. That's cool. You know, what I mean, we, we buzz through. But also on the grounds, they have a Frank Lloyd Wright house. Now, if you don't know who Frank Lloyd Wright is, he's a famous architect. He designs, designed really cool houses, and uh, they're pretty famous. I think there's only like five left in existence. And uh, they had bought one and moved it and rebuilt it, reassembled it there on the grounds. And you can tour it. And so we went and we slowly toured this house and examined uh, it. Now, that to me was more of a work of an art that caught my eye. And I could could spend time in there looking at the lines, looking at how he placed the windows, looking at how he designed the furniture. Because he, everything the furniture and all, it's all designed by him. You know, why he did what he did, how he placed the kitchen, how the cabinets open. It was all unique to me, and that was a work of art that I really looked at in fine detail, Jill and I did. Just sat there and examined the color of the concrete that he used, the lines of the couch, how they match and run up the lines of the concrete all the way to the ceiling. I mean, it was just, that was a work of art that I could stand at. And I tell you this for a reason, That when you're going through the word of God, there's two basic ways to read it. One is to read it like we walk through crystal bridges and you just, oh, yeah, that's cool. You just read. You just read, 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 read. And another way is to read it like we did when we walked through the Frank Lloyd Wright house and we stopped and we paid attention and we looked at and we asked questions. Wow, look at that. Or wonder why he did it that way. Isn't that amazing how we use that color of wood to come down and meet right there? So you're looking for the beauty that's hidden in the big picture. And so we're going to delve into Matthew chapter 5 verse 3 today. And we're going to dig down in it to try to see what the Lord is saying to us. We've been on the Beatitudes now for, I think this is our fourth week. Had two weeks in July. We had last week and then this week. And it says here in verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You remember from last week I told you that uh, this was the first sermon that Jesus had preached. This is the first time he really de- begins to really declare what he believes, what he feels, the message of the Father to the masses. It's the New Testament beginning to change what was different from the Old Testament. Because you have Old Testament belief, theology, and it comes across into New Testament. And either Jesus does nothing and it just comes across, or Jesus confirms it and he says yes, or Jesus modifies it or changes it. You've heard it said, but I tell you. And so Jesus here is beginning to share what uh, actual, a deeper revelation the new covenant is that the prophets had talked about. Jesus begins to share that here and he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. To dig down deeper, you have to ask questions like, what is Jesus saying? Why is he saying it? Why did he use these words? Why did he say it in this tense? Why did he say it in that order? Why did this one come first? So let's look at some of those. He says, blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed is a a cool word and uh, kind of carries over from the Hebrew. You remember in Psalm 1: Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, but stand or standeth in the way of sinners. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in that law he meditates day and night. That blessed there is you're happy because you're full. You have what you need. You're joyful. You're blessed. You've got it. And it's saying blessed is the poor. Blessed are the poor. Doesn't that seem like it almost contradicts a little bit? You're happy and full because you're poor. Well, you have to understand the context that he's talking about here. He's not talking about your relationship in this world. He's talking about your relationship with him, with God. When you come into the relationship with God from a place of poverty you actually come into it it is the recognition recognition well wow. it's recognizing your lack we are poor because we lack we really have nothing to offer god god is the creator of the universe god is the creator of everything and so, in this relationship, I really have nothing to offer him. And when I realize that, I'm actually in relationship with him. Because when I don't realize that, I think I bring something into the relationship. And so, I have expectations from God from what I come into bringing God, you need me. I'm really good at this, I'm hilarious. Well, not actually. It's the understanding that no matter what my relationship is or where I am in the world, it means nothing in my relationship with God. So what are the four things that, these are the four things that I think really are kind of wealth, okay? Uh, One of them is people. The ability to, to have a lot of people in your life. Some of us are more blessed that way than others. Some of us are very friendly, charismatic, uh, really good at relationships. Where uh, We have a high social IQ. We know how to build relationships. But when we come to the Father in heaven, it doesn't make a difference how many people or how many followers we have or how many people we're really good friends with. We can die and have everybody in town said, "Well, oh, that was a great guy. But if the only reason they're saying that is because you in your flesh did everything they wanted to make them all think that you were a good guy. But when you meet God, it doesn't make a difference what they think because you come into a relationship with God without a lack of anything. It doesn't make this wrong to have relationships. That's not wrong. So, our goal isn't to deny everybody and kick everybody out and be loners up on mountains to please God. You can't make yourself poor in spirit by making yourself poor in people. That's my point. Second one I think that we do is uh, possessions. A lot of times we quantify relationship with God where how poor you are in your possessions. If you have very little possessions, then you're closer to Jesus. That's not necessarily true. When we talk about a relationship of being poor in spirit, it's about, really, I have nothing. It's not anything of what I possess. And if I have everything here and can come to Jesus with an open heart and say, man, I have nothing, Lord, then it really doesn't make a difference whether I have everything or nothing here, possession-wise. So trying to quantify or deal with this to get in your relationship with God won't work. Either trying to get more possessions or trying to get less possessions to get your relationship with God. It is a humility comes from knowing and seeing I have nothing to give you Jesus. I think the fourth thing, or the, that would be the third thing, sorry. It's the fourth one down on my page, but it's actually just the third uh, I, I would call it privilege. And by privilege, I mean it's the things that you're born with that you don't realize, you know, that are just to you. Like some people have a humongous, a really good musical ear. And they're able just to pick up instruments or they're able to sing or they're, they're talented that way. Some people are, are, their bodies are built in a certain way that they're great at a certain sport. They're just born with that. You know, in junior high, I tried to uh, go out for pole vault. And the coach just laughed at me. That's what the coach did. He's like, Matt, not going to happen, son. And I was like, well, I have a dream. I can do this, coach. And he's like, nah, not going to happen. You're not endowed with the long jumper's body. There are certain things that you have, that you possess, that are genetics or social. or I mean, there's certain things that you have, but that doesn't get you closer to God. And it won't necessarily take you away from God. It's all the attitude of your heart. Do you see that as an advantage or a disadvantage in your relationship with Jesus? Because when it really gets down to the nitty-gritty, it doesn't make a difference what you could do when you come to God. It is, Jesus, I have nothing to offer you. But it's not wrong being the most talented disco dancer or the most talented businessman or woman or the smartest NASA scientist or the mathematicians like on uh, Hidden Figures. All those, coming to the fullness of your talent that you have, your the privileged talent that you've been given, coming to the fullness of that is great and go for it. But when it comes to Jesus, it is all about Jesus. I have nothing to offer you. But it doesn't disqualify you to come into the fullness of your talent. Sometimes we get this religious stuff of we need to squelch down and become... We have this mode of humility. The poor in spirit means uh, I just do nothing. I beat myself down of all my talent because any kind of talent, if I begin to feel good about myself because I'm good at this aspect, then I need to destroy that. No, it needs, you just need to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I see I'm really good at pole vault, but in reality of eternity, pole vaulting means nothing. It means nothing to you, Jesus. You want me, and I thank you so much that you love me. Just as I am. I see my ability to pole vault, but I also see I am horrible at social. I don't know how to love or be loved. I mean, Just being honest with Jesus and bringing him the reality of who you are. I think the fourth, uh, the fourth thing that our actual riches... Things that people get prideful about or things that we confuse would be uh, positions. So if you're writing those down, it's people, possessions, privilege, and positions. It's positions that you find yourself in, places of authority, places of influence. When it comes to Jesus, it doesn't make a difference how much influence or positional place you obtain here on earth. It means nothing. Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And being able to say, Jesus, I have nothing to give you of myself. I lay it all down to you. Everything that I have is yours. I lay it at your feet. I saw a famous quote of uh, the Queen of England, you know, who recently passed away just a few days ago. I'm sure all your news feeds are full of Queen Elizabeth's passing. It was from the Archduke of Canterbury. think I said that correctly, who said that uh, he had had a conversation with her, and they were talking about Jesus, and that she had gotten tears in her eyes, and she said, I so hope that Jesus returns before I die, because I would so love the privilege of taking this crown off my head and laying it at his feet. How cool is that? Just the recognition, she's the Queen of England, but in Jesus's When compared to Jesus, I ain't nothing. Jesus, you deserve this crown. This is yours. I'm only holding it here on my head right now, but actually it's yours. I'm giving it to you. Poor in spirit. Now, that didn't keep her from being queen and being the best queen that she could be. Poor in spirit, poverty of spirit is the first mark that you can really tell that someone is a believer. How they relate to Jesus. How they talk about Jesus. It's when God factors into everything that's going on. Isaiah, one of the great prophets in Isaiah chapter 6. So he's already been uh, being a, a renowned prophet for a while. In Isaiah chapter 6, uh, he, he comes into the presence of the Lord, and he's, he's brought up, and he's brought into the throne room. And he's standing before Jesus, standing before the Father, and he falls down on his face, and he says, Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. He didn't go, Hey, God, yeah, it's me. Remember I'm your favorite prophet right now in this season? I'm the one that's going to prophesy 400 years in advance or 200 years in advance or whatever it was that he prophesied, which he did. He prophesied phenomenally. People that would exist that weren't even born yet. Cyrus. If I'm not mistaken, he did. Uh, Peter, not Peter the Great. <laughs> Alexander the Great talked about him coming in and how his kingdom would be dissolved into four. Daniel did it, but I think Isaiah did it as well. Poverty of spirit is knowing where you are in reality to God and being able to be honest with Jesus about it. It's a walk with Jesus. And it's a slow walk, not a quick walk. So... It's taking the time to really get to know him. I don't know if you go on walks. I like to go on hikes. And there are some times when the scenery is bad, I'm just on the hike to get it done, you know, to, to get the route to finish. Like I went on one yesterday. It was 2.5 miles. Downhill 500 feet, half a mile, half a mile, back and then back up 500 feet, back up the trail. Nothing really spectacular about the trail, uh, I didn't post any pictures on Instagram. It was nothing that really caught my eye. So I just walked, and I walked at a good 3.5-mile pace and just booking it, in, except back uphill. Then it was more slower. <sighs> Deep breathing to keep myself alive, going back up that hill, wondering, okay, what if, what if they found my body right here? Would it be bad? You know. And... <laughs> but often when I go on a hike, it's a very slow hike. It is looking at the beauty of nature, seeing Jesus in all his creation as I'm walking. Or you go to a restaurant, it's a new nice restaurant, and you sit down and you get the food, and you just slowly eat it. You're not just shoveling in, it isn't just like home, you know, chili you've made and you're just eating because you're hungry. It is, I want to savor and try to figure out what's in the ingredients, what am I tasting here? What did they add to this? And you're savoring it. Or you're listening to a symphony and you listen on repeat. Because you're not just trying to get through Beethoven's fifth. You're trying to hear the oboe part. You're trying to really listen for it. All this... Whether it's the slow hike and you're amazed by nature, it's the uh, food dish that you're savoring, or if it's a symphony that you're listening to, all of it, you had nothing to do with the creation of it. But you get the full enjoyment of it. And you can either shovel it down, walk it fast, and put, it, put the, the song on quick speed to get through it, or you can... Humbly go in and go, man, thank you, Jesus. I want to enjoy your creation. That's what walking with Jesus is like. That's what a deep relationship. It's coming in and going, okay, Lord, I have nothing to offer you. I'm just going to enjoy what you have given me. I'm going to look for your goodness. See your beauty. That's the poor in spirit. To savor in who you are, Lord Jesus. Jesus. Oftentimes, it's, it's pride that keeps us rushing through things because when you go slow, then you get into the presence of the Lord and suddenly you're having to deal with the movement of his presence, of his spirit around you. And it deals with, I'm not worthy of this or this, this hurts to watch or I've got a pain here that you're wanting me to deal with that. I really don't want to go there, God, so I'm going to get through this as fast as I can. I remember a conversation, I don't know if Jill remembers it or not, is we had come back from Russia. We were living in Belton, Missouri, in a little apartment on Toulouse Avenue. And uh, I had left the church there in Russia because God had laid it on my heart to do that it, we were done. And we came back and we ended up, it, we felt it was going to be just the the way the Lord had made it. It felt like we were moving from uh, the difficulty we were having, we were being promoted to something that was going to be really cool, and exciting, and excellent. And uh, the Lord brought us to Kansas City miraculously because we had met Floyd McClung on an airplane just by chance, and they had a place for us, and they needed us at All Nations, and just it just felt like God was opening these beautiful doors of promotion, and it was all going to be good. And we found ourselves barely scraping by, living in an apartment in Belton, Missouri working our butts off, and no one cared. And I don't mean no one cared like no one cared. It, it just meant we went from being at the front, where everybody looked at us, everybody loved us, and everybody knew us, to, now who are you again? And no one caring about our story, which was okay. I mean, you need that, because... My identity was in my story, so I needed to go through a phase where my story didn't make a difference so that my identity could shift out of what I did to who I am in Christ, okay? But we were sitting and we'd had a a heavy discussion and I remember sitting on the floor in our bedroom and I remember Jill asking me, because she's really good at asking the, the perfect questions. She asked me, what are you running from? I'm not running from anything. Why are you running from God? And at the time, I didn't have an answer. Years later now, I could look back and say, absolutely, I was running for God. Why was I running for God? Because I had all this pain in my life that I didn't want to deal with. I didn't think he would love me. And so I just needed to keep busy doing good things for him so that he would love me, gain his approval. I didn't want to stop to really just sit and savor in his presence because, man, I was afraid probably he'd reject me like everyone else seemed to reject me because, you know, You understand what I mean? Just the arguments. Now I look back and I understood. At the time, I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm not running. See, God's presence suffocates pride. It deals with it. Because in his presence, you really are who you are. So if we're gaining our approval before God, if we're trying to come to God with our our people, if we're trying to come to God with our possessions, if we're trying to come to God with our privilege, if we're trying to come to God with our positions, he's like, "Uh, you know, that stuff really doesn't make any difference to me. I want you. And you're like, "Uh, I don't like me, God. I need to cover myself with the People. I need to cover myself with my possessions. I need to cover myself with my talent or my privilege. I need to cover myself with the position. Don't you know who I am? I've got to put this on because I don't want to bring me naked before you with all that I am. But that is the first step. Coming to Jesus in your poverty. And the beauty of it if you'll catch it here in this verse. It says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Not theirs will be. This is the only beatitude that's in the present tense. The rest of them are all future tense. This is the here and now. If we come however we can to Lord and say, Jesus I ain't got nothing to offer you. Here I am. I'm, I'm naked. I'm, I'm bruised. I'm dirty. I'm dirt, you know, whatever. And he goes, yours is the kingdom. Welcome. And he begins to pour his love upon us and clean us and sanctify us as we are. We get the blessing of heaven now. Now. Not future. Heaven now. Experiencing the kingdom of the Father in our lives at this very moment because we have understood the entrance is only through the blood of Jesus. It's only through Jesus. I have nothing to offer you. Take me. I give you my life. There's an old hymn. They uh, play it we sang it all the time as kids in, in the AC church when we would when I would go. Uh, Just as I am, I don't know if you're familiar with it. It was always at uh, what's his face's uh, Billy Graham. Thank you, Billy Graham's uh, things. He always had it sung. Just as I am, without one plea, but that Thy blood was shed for me. And that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. And it's a great song to remind you that really you have nothing to offer Jesus. You just have a blot. You just have sin. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, give, me, give, me, give it to me. And you're like, do you really want this? <laughs> and he's like, Yep, yeah, give it to me because my blood is sufficient. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus, his presence, is able to fill and make whole every wound, every lack, every poverty, every void. The presence of the Lord, we come to him with all of this junk, our our wounds, our lack, our poverty, our voids. And he's able to come in and meet and he just fills in every crevice just fills it in and begins to heal and and make whole. Joel chapter 2, he says here, I'm going to restore to you the years that the swarming locusts have eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, the cutter. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied, and I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. It's Joel 2, 25, 26, and 28, parts of the verses there. He has this ability to pour out his spirit upon us when we come to him as we are without our pretense and we just say, here I am, Lord. He pours upon us and he begins to restore to us all that the Father has for us. So that the pretense of our things, the people, power, possessions, and privilege, they lose their ability to sway us away from Him. They become less. They don't, like, we don't get rid of them per se, but they lose their value. He fills in the need. Jesus has the ability to restore. And he loves doing it. He loves meeting you where you are and giving out his manifold grace. It's not something you work yourself into. It's something you receive. Poof, a heart change. Wow, I can't believe that. I'm just so different. I went through a season of heart change when I lived in Russia as a young man, and I would look in the mirror and go, who is this guy? I so do not recognize how much you've changed because Jesus came in and filled in the heart. That isn't just for me. That's for all of us, and it's a lifetime thing he hits when we come to him, Lord, here I am. Restore, Father. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Do you have the kingdom of heaven now? Do you have the kingdom of heaven in your life right now? Do you have the kingdom of heaven in your life right now? It's what the Lord comes to restore to you. I will restore to them all the years that have been taken away. They will have plenty and be prosperous. I'm going to pour my spirit upon all flesh, and I'm going to fill in every crevice, and I'm going to heal. You just got to bring them to me. Be poor in spirit, and I will give you the kingdom of heaven now. It belongs to you because of the blood of Jesus, not because of your people, possessions, privilege, or power. It belongs to you because of the blood of Jesus. All you got to do is ask. So what I want to do is I want to, as she's getting ready to play some music, I want to open up the altar. And if you'd like me to lay hands on you, I want to lay hands on you and agree with you for the restoration of the kingdom of heaven, the fullness of the kingdom, hitting your life in all these areas. No matter where you come from, that doesn't make a difference where the Lord can take you. If you're broken, He can fix it. Don't nullify the God factor in your life by this is the way it is and this is the way it will always be. No, no. He is the restorer. He's the healer. He is God Almighty. So I'm going to open up the altar. If you'd like prayer, you're welcome to come down. And I want to pray with you if you want to begin by just coming before the Lord and uh, giving Him again yourself just as you are. Why don't we do that first? Why don't you stand up with me, please? you just agree with me in prayer lord we come before you this morning and we acknowledge lord that we have neither people possessions privilege positional right power anything that would bring us toward you lord jesus but father we receive from you this morning your love thank you lord jesus for all that you did we recognize that we are poor father but you are rich lord We choose to receive from you this morning, Father. Bless you.